0: So good morning again. Uh, This is uh, Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And uh, today I have the great pleasure of welcoming back uh, Brad Monk. Uh, Always a pleasure speaking with you, Brad. Brad is uh, with the GOG Foundation and Honor Health Research Institute, University of Arizona, College of Medicine, Creighton University School of Medicine in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Brad, welcome again to the podcast at IJGC. Always uh, love hearing from you. Always uh, enjoy and learn so much uh, from our discussions. Um, and today we're going to discuss, obviously, the, the topic of the randomized phase three trial to evaluate Rucaparid monotherapy as maintenance treatment in patients with newly diagnosed ovarian cancer, the Athena Mono GOG3020. And got OV45. Brad, welcome again.
1: Pedro, good to be with you guys. And congratulations to you, the editorial staff, and the journal for your recent impact factor. So, uh, this journal, I think now is the uh, uh, um, dominant, certainly most cited, gynecologic (laughs) cancer journal. And I, I read it every month, I anticipate it. And thank you for everything you're doing to educate us and teach us. So, congratulations.
0: Uh oh, thank you so much, Brad. And uh, uh obviously yeah we're very happy. It's uh, uh great work from our team and and, and thank you for, for those words. So uh, Brad, I know obviously your, your time is limited, so we're always very grateful, grateful for your um, for your accepting our invitation. So I wanted to get uh, straight into the, the topic of um, obviously where we are today uh, with regards to the PARP scenario. Um, and then I was just wondering if we can just start by briefly asking you if you can give a, an overview of where we are as it pertains to PARP inhibitors, ovarian cancer, and, and lead us into how we come to the principles of studying uh, Rucaparib and the Athena combo and the Athena mono trial.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a, that's a complicated question. Uh, th- th- this has been a 20 year journey for me. Um, Maury Markman uh, was one of my mentors and 20 years ago, he says, you know, Brad, um, you know, all patients almost, with advanced stage high-grade serous or high-grade endometrioid tumors are going to recur and we need to keep them in remission. I said, I know, but I don't know how to keep them in remission. He <laughs> says, we need to keep the treatment going. So as you know, in 2003, we published GOG-178, which was maintenance paclitaxel every four weeks at 135 milligrams. And it worked. In fact, it worked so well that the data safety monitoring committee stopped the study early. The challenge was is that it was toxic. Patients had alopecia, uh, fatigue, marrow suppression, and it never really caught on. And that really led to the evolution uh, to the next decade of Bevacizumab. And Bevacizumab today is a very important medication since its publication in the New England Journal in 2011. And then, and I have my GOG background here, uh, our next GOG study was uh, SOLO, SOLO-1, 3004. We had a young mentoree, Katie Moore at the time, now she's world famous. And, and she taught us that when a laparib is given in BRCA mutated patients, there's a substantial benefit. And you've seen that, and I think we all utilize that, but it was a bracket situation. So then we had to do the next study. And that study is called Prima, also published in the New England Journal, also led to FDA approval two years ago in 2020. Um, And that was an all-comer opportunity, but questions remain. And questions remain about who's the best patient for PARP maintenance, and again, it's treatment, maintenance treatment. Uh, What's the right agent? What's the right dose? What's the right biomarker? All of these things. And that's why Athena, Athena Mono was designed And then over time, study number six will be ultimately Athena combo, adding an immune checkpoint inhibitor. Um, And in fact, the last time we were together, I talked about one of those first five studies was Javelin 100, where single agent immune checkpoint didn't work. So Athena uh, mono, as you know, was two completely uh, uh, separate, fully powered studies integrated in one that share one of the arms. In Athena Mono, the placebo arm was the uh, control. Recaprob was the experimental arm. In Athena Combo, now Recaprob will be the control arm and Recaprob Nivolumab uh, will be the uh, 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 intervention arm. So we did that study, uh, uh, 500 patients, uh, randomized one to one, actually randomized four to one, uh, to see if we can impact progression-free survival, as assessed by the investigator uh, uh, in all comers, Uh, using this time a different biomarker, the uh, foundation uh, uh, medicine uh, uh, biomarker, uh, which is an LOH score. Uh, And we did it. And we did it together, uh, showing that we could uh, add uh, benefit in a tolerable way where quality of life was not impacted. Now, a lot of people want to compare this to Prima and and that's okay. And as you know, I was the last author of Prima and first author here of Athena. Um, I, I think what you need to do is, is just concern yourself about making sure your patients get the right treatment. I don't know if you were at ASCO, but, but the, uh, uh, there was a question for the floor and they're like, Dr. Monk, what does Athena mean now? <laughs> and I said, Athena means maybe we should start following the ASCO guidelines because the ASCO guidelines say that all patients should be considered for a PARP inhibitor, and many of you guys are not doing that. Yeah, And that's what we need to do. So I'm I'm happy that we were able to publish that on June 6th in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, and and here we have
0: it. Brad, thank you so much for, you know, obviously that uh, very well uh, put together historical overview. And You know, and and you you mentioned about the statement by Maury Markman, and I think that we all go back in our career at some point and reminded me when you said that uh, I used to see him in the hallways, I was a very young GYN oncologist and I would discuss cases with him as I was taking them to the operating room and the indications for and he would say oh pedro to be so young to think that you can cure ovarian cancer <laughs> with <the> surgery <laughs> and you're
1: still young my friend but i hear you that's a good point
0: <laughs> um, so um so absolutely i mean you know th- certainly uh and i think that you know that that question that you raised uh, about the asco meaning from the audience it, it actually goes to my last question of the of the podcast so we'll revisit that that uh that topic as well um, but um, Brad, if you can just talk a little bit about for our audience as to who was eligible for the, the Athena Mono trial. Yeah.
1: So there are no contraindications to recaprib or Elaprib, uh or Neraparib, quite frankly. And again, I sort of put this into a class effect. Uh, but the right patient, you know, there has to be a shared decision between the provider uh, and uh, the patient and, and obviously the, the family and, and other caregivers as well. So all patients, just like ASCO says, uh, is is eligible. Okay, uh, but the benefit, the magnitude of the benefit, can be informed by the biomarker. Now, in Athena Mono, there was about forty four percent of the patients that were LOH high. Uh, if you remember in PALO1, which was a laparobezosismab, it was about forty eight percent. So they both identify somewhere around 45% of the patients that are test positive. And those are the patients that benefit the best. And I'm not here to tell you that the the foundation medicine test is any better or worse than the myriad test, but I am here to tell you that testing is important. I get it. You're probably going to use a PARP inhibitor in most cases anyways, but it helps inform the expectation. Mm -hmm. And in that patient group that is uh, HRD Uh, uh, in in athena specifically uh, there was a hazard ratio of 0.47 and and an improvement according to the investigator progression free survival assessment from 11.3 to 28.7 months okay so that's a 17.4 month improvement 17 months okay a year and a half and, and you, you don't have to really think about that very much, particularly when the side effects can be mitigated with dose interruption, recovery, mm-hmm. and dose reduction. And very few patients come off for toxicity and the quality of life giving our best assessments uh, is not impacted. So that, that's a no-brainer. It also, of course, works even a little better in the BRCA patient population. I remind you that in Athena, there was only 20% of the patients that had a BRCA mutation as opposed to Prima, uh, where it was 30, and PALO one where it was 30, you know, the BRCA patients didn't want to go on study more and more f- frequently because they knew the results of SOLA-1. Mm. So uh, th- this, this, this is important. I think one of the other interesting points about Athena is the dosing flexibility. Uh, I've been a passionate advocate of the personalized dose with niraparib and Prima, based on the weight and the baseline platelet count. Well, here you don't need to do that. Um, I think dose intensity has some relevance. Uh, There probably is a a threshold below which these agents are not active. Uh, With Athena or Recaprib, there's six doses, Mm -hmm. 600, 500, 400, and 300. And and again, that's regardless of weight or platelet count. And it allows uh, 70% of the patients to continue 500 or 600, so that's 80% of the dose. So the majority of the patients can stay on the two highest doses, 500 or 600, without really uh, 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 having s- serious adverse events. So th- th- this, is, this is exciting. Um, and, and, and you would never be able to sort of pin me down uh, and say, should you use Recap or Nerapirib? <laughs> the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And, and I'm not here to tell you that it's a Pepsi versus Coke argument. I'm here to tell you that there are other factors, such as reimbursement, uh, such as, 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 as all of the factors that play into this. And I, I just really think, and I've said it all the time, that it takes two studies to convince anyone of anything. Okay? <laughs> and, and, and that was the purpose of ICON 7 and GOG 218. We never intended people to use the ICON7 regimen. It was just to add confidence to 218. The right dose of bevacizumab is 15 milligrams per kilo. The right duration is 15 months because that was a placebo controlled appropriately done study, okay? Not that ICON7 was inappropriate, but, but, they're, <laughs> but, they're, but, they're, but they're, they're different studies. So this now adds confidence. And um, quite frankly, I, I hope it provides more options. I hope that it gets global approval. I hope that it gets NCC enlisted and, you know, I, I play for the patient team as, <laughs> as you do. And, and I think sort of this internal competition for pricing and availability and all the things that allow patients to have these medicines will, 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 will go into effect. And, and I really hope that these next studies will even move the ball forward. Okay. That adding immune checkpoint inhibitors as in Athena combo or as in Keylink, or as in first, or duo, right? With three PARP inhibitors and, and, and these three um, uh, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors into a combination of four, we'll move it forward. And if it doesn't, it'll be just like Javelin 100 and it'll just be a nice line on my CV because it won't lead to anything. But we have to keep trying through clinical trials to get better. And, and, and listen, you, you saw what we did in cervical cancer. I thought we would never get better than (laughs) GOG-240 until we did, okay? And so we can continue to improve patients' lives. We can go earlier in the line of therapy, okay? We can do combinations. We can do biomarkers, and we'll never give up, never, ever give up, right? So as Jimmy Valvano said.
0: Uh, absolutely. And it speaks to, to the strength of continuing to expand and explore on these uh, these important results. Uh, now, uh, Brad, a couple of questions. Uh, as you know, we have a, a fellowship within the journal. Um, so some of these questions were actually submitted by our fellows. Uh, this is uh, from Catherine Hicks Courant. She's at the University of Pennsylvania, finishing her fellowship. And she was asking if you could specifically discuss a little bit about this step-down multiple comparison design um, when is this appropriate? When is this approach appropriate?
1: Yeah, that's great. So there are sort of two types of, of uh, uh, conclusions that are drawn in clinical trials. Uh, one is where we uh, are definitive. We test a hypothesis, it's pre-specified. Uh, we have a p-value or an alpha allocated to it. And as you know, the typical p-value in science is 0.05, which means by chance, you're going to be wrong one out of 20 times, okay? (laughs) But you have to compare for the multiple covariates, okay? There are others where it still looks good, but it is hypothesis generating. It doesn't control for all of the confounding variables. Let me give you some examples. So you've been hearing about the survival uh, decrement in uh, ovarian cancer from these PARP inhibitors. Nothing could be further from the truth because all the confounders are not controlled for. Said another way, in in Athena, for example. So these patients are gonna live five years, they're gonna get six treatments, operated on two or three times, get radiated, and then you wanna say, well, it's that one thing. Hmm. It's that one thing that caused these patients to live longer or shorter. No, it's all the things Hmm. together. Okay, so that would sort of be a reckless and inappropriate conclusion, particularly when the subcategory, let's say one little biomarker subset has this broad confidence interval, that's inappropriate. But if you call it, and that's what we do in this step-down analysis, we called it, we said, okay, the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna do HRD, okay? Um, and and, and by the investigator, that's the first test. And if it hits, we're gonna say, okay, we can continue to maintain the integrity of the trial and go to the next analysis. If it doesn't hit, we're over, we're just Mm -hmm. done. And so the second step down was intent to treat all comers. And the third will be overall survival in the HRD, the fourth will be uh, intent to treat analysis, uh, uh, overall survival, and then resist overall response rate, both five in the HRD and six in the intent to treat. And, and if you look at sort of one of the studies that I'm probably most proud of in this design is the EMPOWER study with Simiplumab and second-line cervical cancer. We went all the way down to like the fifth step down, <laughs> which included patient-reported outcomes. So the patient-reported outcomes in EMPOWER are analytic. You can draw a conclusion. If you look at, let's say, ARIEL-3, okay, the, the next step down was patient-reported outcomes, and it stopped. So the overall survival in Aerial 3 is not analytic, okay? So, so we, we, we do this in a way so that we can test formally hypotheses in a, in a reliable way that we can have confidence, and that's why we do it. It's, it's innovative, and uh, our good uh, friend, Rob Coleman, as you know, uh, he, I don't know if you knew that, I'm sure you do. He has a degree in math. And so he <laughs> and he he's uh, he's integrated well with some of these more formal biostatisticians to come up with this, and this is widely accepted uh, by the FDA as well as journal articles, journal uh, publishers. Um,
0: and so, Brad, another one of the questions is on uh, again on the on the design. Uh, this is from Hussein El hajj He's from uh, uh, France, and he was asking if you could just elaborate a little bit more as to why you chose a four to one randomization in Athena model. These good questions. Great.
1: So, so the, again, it's two studies and, and I wanted to sort of utilize our uh, valuable resources, which are patients. So it's really four to four to one to one. Hmm. So the the Athena mono and and, and one of those arms, which is the uh, nivolumab placebo will not be analyzed. It was to sort out the relative contribution in an inferential way. Hmm. So, the, again, I don't, I don't like uh, a big control arm if we can handle it analytically and statistically because patients, you know, want to get treatment. So the first thing is it gave four-fifths of the patient's chance to, to get treatment, right? Because it's a lot of sacrifice for the investigator and the patient to have four-fifths chance. The, the second thing is is I wanted a, 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 because the difference would probably be less, between the Recaparib novolumab versus Recaparib and Athena combo, I needed big numbers. Hmm. So I did four to four, one to one, one with a 100 and it's a thousand, 400, 400, 100, 100. The 100 with novolumab I'm not gonna analyze it. The 100 with the placebo was enough from a, from a statistical standpoint to, to have a, a small number of placebo treated patients and answer the question, but I needed those 400 Recapra patients because that arm is now going to carry to Athena combo. Mm-hmm. So now Athena combo is 400 versus 400. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we got a big number there. Um, and, um, you know, we had to do a placebo, unfortunately in Athena, both uh, mono, um, but again, it was again, cause it was a thousand patients. So it was only now 10%. Of all patients, because you had four to four to one to one, mm-hmm. but in, in the recaprib arm, it's it's four to one. So that's a, it's a good question. It's a, and and, and I'm not always right. Trust me. <laughs> just look at just look at uh, you know Javelin 100. Uh, but um, uh, uh, you know we we try to be uh, creative and smart uh, to maximize our chances of technical success within the clinical trial, but also utilize the most valuable resource that we have as the patients.
0: Yeah, so one one additional question before we get into the main results. Uh, Obviously, you mentioned uh, the number of patients. Uh, Just for uh, a a sense of reference for our audience, how many centers had to participate to accrue this many patients? (laughs) Yeah, right. More than 200 centers in 24 countries. So um,
1: it's a big effort, and and it's, it's, it's a lot to comprehend from a biotech company the biotech company will come to the GOG and say, hey, we want to do a study and we want, you know, 30 sites and 10 centers. And then I'll say, that's fine. I'll take you 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> and and, 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 and they're, they're like, well, you know, we don't have the resources. It, it takes resources uh, to do these clinical trials. Um, but the good news is, is that we can really change patients' lives. And uh, there is a return on that monetary investment. So you, if, if it's correct, you know, if, if the study doesn't make its primary endpoint, then it's just a, a waste of money, obviously, and a waste of resources. So um, it, it, it's a major effort. Fortunately, fortunately, ovarian cancer is rare. Um, and when you're studying these rare tumors, it takes a, a huge effort.
0: Yeah, and, and of course, obviously, to have these impacting uh, uh, studies, it has to take that that much effort and resource. So, so Brad, now, onto the main results, Athena Mono. What are the main take home points for our audience? This is where they need to focus, increase the volume. What are the main results? Yeah, thank you. Uh,
1: And and I wanna point out to you as as we sort of can't help ourselves to do cross trial comparisons, I wanna point out a couple of things. Um, The the first is is that when you do an investigator progression-free survival, uh, versus a blinded independent central review, the bickery are always better, okay? And, and they're better in lots of ways. If it's not placebo-controlled, they're better uh, because the investigator subconsciously sort of leans towards favoring that, that the agent's gonna work. But even, even when uh, it's placebo-controlled, as Athena Mono was, there's still a better result um, because of some missing data. And so the, the censoring because a bicker only counts when they have the scan read and when it's interpretable. So, so what, what happens is again, my style is to be as transparent as I can. And so I gave you both in the presentation and the manuscript, the investigator. Okay. Which you could argue, well, that's real world Mm -hmm. versus the, Blinded Independent Central Review, which allows you sort of to inferentially, although you never should compare it to Prima because Prima was bigger, right? Mm -hmm. And and so uh, Mm -hmm. let me give you some examples. So uh, the the conclusion to your question is it works in all subgroups, er, er, every single one. Okay. But if you take the investigator PFS in the group that you're most interested in is in this HRD negative the HRD negative, because as I said, it's a no-brainer in the HRD test positive. In the HRD test negative, the investigator hazard ratio is 0. 0.65. Well, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the median is only three months, 9.1 to 12.1. But if you look at the same group of patients using mm-hmm. the Bicker, the hazard ratio goes from 0. 0.65 to 0. 0.60. And the difference at the median goes from three months to 5.6 months. And, and so remember, it's the same group of patients and it's the same result. It's just looking at it two different ways. And, 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 and again, uh, in, in Prima, they used Bicker. Uh, here, uh, the primary endpoint uh, statistically was the investigator. But we, we worked very hard to get the Bicker um, uh, data for you as an as a provider and payer to assess. So I'm I'm not sure which one you should really use the investigator uh, 0.65 12.1 versus 9.1 or the Bicker uh, which is 0. 0.60 12.0 versus 6.4 months. I'm not sure. I I just I just think that they sort of complement each other. And it's, it's, it's very important to look at it that way because I don't want people to, again, cross-trial compare, uh, uh, although you can't help yourself. Mm-hmm. I want people just to have confidence in, in, in the offering that patients can take a pill or two a day, or care, a dose or two a day, and they can remain in remission longer without feeling any worse. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what you're really doing is you're protecting them from the side effects of the cancer. This idea that this one time was a holiday is no longer relevant. It it is a holiday, but it's supposed to be a holiday from treatment-related adverse reactions as well as disease-related adverse reactions.
0: Yeah, and, I, and I'm glad you 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 exactly phrased it that way because you know exactly that's 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 what patients want to know. Mm-hmm. you know, the patient's not asking, well, what's the difference between a hazard ratio of 0. 0.65 mm-hmm. versus six? They just want to know, tell me, how does this uh benefit me? Um, Brad, one of the questions also came up uh, again from one of the fellows was um, you know, that dose reduction occurred, I believe, in almost like half the patients, almost like 50% mm-hmm. of the patients. Um, and 12% of these were due to adverse effects. And, and his question is, uh, what do you think is the lowest yet efficient dosing? <laughs> and would you recommend starting with lower doses in frail or, or, or you know, sicker patients?
1: What a great man. These are good questions. So I, I think, uh, you know, this debate has been played out with the pembrolizumab lenbatinib 309 keynote 775 study. And the, 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 the answer is no. I think most patients should start on 600 uh, if you are eligible for the study. That's, that's sort of the way I do it, whether it's, you Keynote 775, whether it's Athena Mono. If the patient looks like the sort of patient that went into the clinical trial, then you should start at full dose, 20 milligrams of lenvatinib, let's say. But if they don't, just what you said, if they're frail, I think it's very reasonable to start at a lower dose. Uh, Nobody knows what that is. Uh, I do think those matters. And, And I think that's one of the big challenges for niraparib is it's probably okay to start most patients on 200. But then if you have to go to the next step down, which is 100, now you're at a pretty low dose and you're at a dose that may not be effective. And that's certainly some of the concerns that the EMA has raised, particularly in the HRD test negative or the HRP subset. So I, I do think dose matters. Uh, I do think that 200 is enough in Um, And, um, but that's that's a great question. The the, the the reason that it doesn't really impact the quality of life though, despite all of these dose interruptions and dose reductions, is that the half-life of these oral medications is very short. I mean, recap is given twice a day. Mm-hmm. So if you have, let's say a GI toxicity or you have, a bone marrow suppression or for fatigue, those are the three most common. Two or three days, you feel better. You know, it's it's not like an intravenous medication that is given every three weeks. We're gonna suffer through it for a week or two. So, so the the the, the ability to to detect and react to an adverse reaction with these oral medications is much better.
0: Yeah. Right, another question from one of our fellows. is: you know, obviously, there's a lot of emphasis in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion in our studies. And, and one of the questions that was raised was over 90% of the patients participating in the trial were either white or Asian. Um, do these results apply to the African-American population?
1: And thank you for that. And we need to do better. And I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, we have, you know, these Asian patients who are, Asians that live in Asia, not Asians that live in America. And I don't even know if that is relative to the U.S. Asian population. Um, but we, we're working harder um, and um, I don't know. I don't know. And, and there's no way that I could know. And as you know, the FDA has now said that when we do these studies, we have to have a diversity and inclusion plan. Uh, as you may or may not have heard within the GOG, we have a formal process now uh, it's developed over many years, working with Deshauna Myers and Bob Napothuri together. Uh, we are going to write a white paper on behalf of the GOG Foundation about this very serious issue, and um, we recognize that that's the first step to improvement. And now we're going to get better. But thank you for bringing that up.
0: Well, that's great. And I'm glad to hear that from the GOG. Um, another question from Hussein is, uh, do you think in light of the results of this study, HRD testing could potentially be omitted?
1: I don't. I don't. I think, I think to your point, very good point, that all patients are probably, um, uh, 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 you know, g- g- all patients are good candidates for, for PARP maintenance treatment, I said that, but, but there may not be everyone that believes in the HRD test negative subset. Um, and also I think there's a payer issue. You know, I'm not sure how much uh, value there is in that offering. And importantly, Bevacizumab is also an opportunity. So I think the real question that we have, not only is the test, but the sequence Mm -hmm. and the combination. So in the HRD test negative, is it better to use Bev and then PARP? Hmm. Uh, uh, In the HRD, is it better to use PARP and then Bev (laughs) or both? And and these questions will likely never be answered. These Hmm. are the sorts of questions that what used to be known as the gynecologic oncology group, which is not the same as the GOG, but the gynecologic oncology group; those are the sorts of practical questions, like, you know, IP chemotherapy, dose dense paclitaxel, that we would answer. We don't anymore, and I'm disappointed because I think there's a real opportunity to sort out sort of these sequence and combination issues of medications that are active and tolerable, but but the the the, the because of the expense, I just told you the return on that investment may not justify the cost of a for-profit drug company to do. And I I, I really am disappointed that the gynecologic oncology group doesn't do those sorts of studies anymore because I think they're still important.
0: Mm, Excellent. Um, So now this next question, Jessica's son, actually she's from from Houston, uh, and it's sort of asking you perhaps to speculate a little bit, but she asks, you know, in terms of the preliminary data we're getting from the studies about like uh, overall survival and detriments in overall survival, particularly from the survival analysis of Ario four. What are your thoughts with regards to these uh, results? Good question. So first, I don't think there are decrements with PARP
1: inhibitors. I don't think we've seen any decrement. I think those are uh, individuals well-intentioned that don't understand how to analyze data sets. There, there is no question that PARP inhibitors help patients live longer. There's no question. And doing some sort of inappropriate statistical analysis with a broad, which does not uh, account for the covariates uh, and, and does not look at these broad confidence intervals, uh, really is, 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 is not helpful. And I think what it does is in the people that don't understand it creates fear, which mm-hmm. is never healthy. Um, so I, I, uh, I, I, I don't think there is any sign that there's a decrement. I think that if you, like I said, even with a regular statistical test, you're going to be wrong one out of 20. <laughs> but with, when there's so many multiple comparisons, you're going to find something. Yeah. And, 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 if, and, and if you really want to test it, then the government, the energy, should do a 5,000 patient trial and control for all these covariates. And ultimately, they would answer the question. The reason they don't want to do it because they don't believe it either. Yeah. They don't believe it either. If you look at the number of patients with ovarian cancer, what we call the prevalence, it goes up every year. And it goes up every year because we're using PARP inhibitors and bevacizumab and secondary cytoreduction in the appropriate patient, on and on and on. We're moving in the right direction, okay? And, and, and you, again, if you were at ASCO, you sort of felt the ire from <laughs> Katie Moore when someone said such a, a, a uninformed, uh, uh, made an uninformed point, so we need to sort of educate. Uh, we don't need, we shouldn't criticize each other. Maybe I just did. I apologize. <laughs> um, but I, but I but I think you know there there are ways to analyze data.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I'm actually uh, having a, a podcast later this week with uh, our, our friends and colleagues uh, Rob Coleman and Shannon Weston to specifically address that question. So, uh, you know, I, I certainly uh, will, will bring up some, some of these topics. Um, um, now, Brad, with regards to um, rare histologic subtypes, um, one of the questions that came up was, do we have any sense that this is also something that may seem feasible and seeing the same results with regards to endometrioid or clear cell types? Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts?
1: So the high-grade endometrioid tumors do have HRD in them. Um, so do the clear cells. So I think there's, I would just follow the testing paradigm, uh, the mucinous and the low grade serous probably don't. So I think that's okay. I, I thought you were going to ask me about the earlier stages. Mm. I, I think, I think if you take these stage one and two, uh, cancers, the stage one, um, uh, fallopian tube cancers, even the stick, you have a pretty high risk of carcinomatosis. Hmm. So I think many of us are trying, particularly in the stage one and two tubal cancers that we find, incidentally, on a risk-reducing cell pain, oophorectomy, that those patients should get maintenance PARP. You know, the only downside is the MDS, uh, which is about 1%, but in a setting where there's a 20 to 30% risk of death, again, in the BRCA mutated subset is what I'm talking about here. Um, which is why you do a risk-reducing cell pinguphrectomy anyways, yeah. um, uh, that, 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 that those patients should probably get a PARP inhibitor.
0: Yeah. And uh, this next question is again from Catherine hicks She was asking, uh, and I think you alluded a little bit about this before, you know, the Pepsi versus Coke. Uh, how, how do you think should providers approach choosing a PARP in first line? Um, for whom would you favor Recaparib versus Niraparib? Yeah, so for now, Recaparib is not paid for. So I think it's a no-brainer
1: now. Mm. Uh, uh, right now, it's a, it's an Rapparab world and uh, it's my pleasure to use it every day. Um, um, mm. There might be a time when uh, Rukaparab will get approved. It's been submitted to the NCCN. I'm concerned that the NCCN will not understand this aerial four issue. Sure. And, and, and again, people are very busy. They're all very smart, but they need to slow down and they need to think about what the ramifications of this decision is and, and, and how it was made. Uh, same with the FDA, the FDA has told um, uh, Clovis that, that, that they need 50% uh, of the survival events. They already have 24%. They gave niraparib FDA approval with 11%. So again, this is, this is developing a life of its own and I don't think anyone would ever say that uh, Athena is worse than Prima. Uh, I would hope that you wouldn't say that it's better either. Um, <laughs> but but for now, um, uh, it's in the wrap world, and 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 so I just want to get patients more options. I quite frankly I want to reduce the cost. I think the the cost is 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 is, is very. Uh, very serious. I, I just want to make a comment before we close here, we're running out of time that mm-hmm. these four studies that will add um, a, a PARP inhibitor to a checkpoint inhibitor are all very different. I think people lump them in and say, well, they're all going to, all going to be negative, or maybe they're all going to be positive, but they're all very different. So first, niraparib is given to every patient. Okay. Because they have Prima. Okay. With Duo O, Bevacizumab is rec- required because AstraZeneca has Palo-1. They think that Bevacizumab is important. Okay. With Keylink, they think that they have the secret sauce in the biomarker. Hmm. Okay. Because they have this 22 C3 and you've seen it in breast cancer and cervical cancer. So they're big biomarker driven, but Bevacizumab is elected. Okay. And then you look at Athena combo. The, the, they say, look, You know, the chemotherapy might not be the best opportunity for immune therapy. Uh, You saw that in Javelin 100. So we're just going to do a maintenance. Mm. So all four have sort of their differences. And I remember you can win one out of 20 times
0: just by chance.
1: (laughs) So so at least we have four shots on goal.
0: Thank you. So just before we wrap up, uh, Brad, I wanted to ask you a couple of other questions from, from some of our fellows, and, and this one pertains a little bit to um, how do we keep patients on, on treatment? And um, her question, Christina Ewing from UK, says almost 20% of uh, patients in, in your study uh, discontinue treatment for reasons other than clinical or disease progression. Um, nausea, fatigue appeared to be the most uh, common. Uh, what can you do to, how, what can we do? to attenuate some of these side effects to improve continuation uh, with treatment?
1: Yeah, thank you. So some of this is setting the expectation. Just because there is a dose reduction uh, doesn't mean that we started at the wrong dose or that it's not working, okay? And as was said, half of the patients get a dose interruption. So that's gonna be, you know, that's just gonna happen. Uh, Remember the most common reason for coming off study was progression, Mm -hmm. okay? 65% of the time in the placebo arm. Uh, And we did this study during COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So there are patients who are withdrawing consent and having other challenges unrelated to the treatment, but more related to the pandemic. So there there are some patients that do uh, come off for an adverse event. And the study was 12.6%, 12.6% versus 5.4% in the placebo arm, even the placebo arm. 5.4% of the time come off for toxicity and they're not even getting the medicine. So, so, so I think we have to look at this carefully. Um, And um, I think the conclusion again, is that a dose interruption, dose reduction is not a failure. It's just part of the process and patients can
0: find the right dose for them. Great. So one uh, one additional question, and on to our last question. Uh, this one also from Christina. When are you expected to report on the results of Athena Combo?
1: Isn't that great? Um, hopefully a long time, because if it's a long time, then that means it's working. <laughs> so uh, uh, it's it's there are all four of these studies neck and neck. I've mentioned them a couple of times. They're all enrolled. Um, I, I think I think. Um, I think all of them are gonna report next year. Great. Um, And hopefully it'll be the end of the year because that means that it's working. Remember that these studies are done when the events have happened and an event is defined as a progression or death. And if the study is not done, it means that there aren't sufficient numbers of progression or death to come up with a conclusion and that's a
0: good thing. Great. So Brad, obviously I wanna be respectful of your time. Last question, as you know, many. Patients listen to these podcasts as well. Um, when a patient asks you about how the results of Athena Mono fit into the daily clinical practice, into their lives, their disease, um, what is your response moving forward?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What, what can we do with this data moving forward?
1: Yeah, I, I think if there are patients listening and your doctor says, you know, I don't really believe in maintenance treatment after response, in newly diagnosed advanced ovarian cancer i think it's time to go shopping mm. for another doctor mm. because because said said no one ever that sort of understands now that doesn't mean you may not get to the conclusion that it's not good for me but that that decision has to be made with much deliberation and much consideration and most patients and doctors providers come to the conclusion that almost every patient is appropriate for frontline maintenance, and it's okay if it's bevacizumab. Bevacizumab is a good medication, and may even be the best medication in the HRD test negative group. And it's also okay if it's bevacizumab and a laparib. The mm-hmm. median of thirty-seven point two months looks pretty good in the bevacizumab HRD positive, when it has a laparib layered into it. And it's okay if you give naraprib because it's a really good medication. And if you can get Recaprate paid for, it's also a very good medication and that's okay. But to sit there and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to take my chances. Hmm. Right. I mean, we all, we all wear seatbelts every day in our car, (laughs) you know, take your chances. What are you talking about? You do everything that you can to live your best life. And I think this is part
0: of that. Brad Monk, thank you so, so much. As always, absolutely a pleasure speaking with you. Always learn so much from speaking with you. Thank you for accepting our invitation and being so kind with your time. Thank you. Thanks, bud.
1: Congratulations again. All right. Thanks.